employee satisfaction has declined steadily since 2020, according to Bamboo HR. They had a survey where they uh, asked 57,000 workers across eight key industries about satisfaction, happiness, engagement. The largest dips were recent. Uh, From June 2022 to June 2023, we've seen declines that are 15 times faster than the previous two years combined. Happiness at work now is uh, worse now than during the height of the pandemic. We don't know exactly why it is, but lots of people are asking questions. You know, is it because of remote work? Is it because of inflation? Is it because of this new norm of unprecedented times and constant change? Maybe it's the reductions in force. The most resilient companies are those that are listening to employees' views, paying a living wage, offering flexible work, and providing training and career development programs. Clearly, it's time to rethink employee engagement. What can leaders do to make their organization an outlier during this period of the great gloom? How can we help our organizations experience the great flourishing? Welcome to the Behaviorist with Work Wisdom where we help you adopt high-performance mindsets, behaviors, communication, and culture. I'm your host, Kedron Crosby. Our intention for the Behaviorist podcast is to share accessible, concrete practices that you can weave into your whole life to begin a shift toward joy and meaningful achievement. Today, we're turning our focus on the great gloom, and specifically, we're trying to think about how do we manifest the great flourishing. I'm so grateful to have Dr. Ryan Berardi joining me here today. Ryan, I'm thrilled that you could be here. Thank you so much for being here. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So for our listeners who don't know Ryan, uh, Ryan is the Vice President of Training and Development and a member of the CNS Company's executive team. Ryan leads the strategic and day-to-day operations of the training and development function for CNS companies and their clients, and he's well-positioned to do this. He's worked in education, human development, the learning capital fields since 2006, and he's had leadership roles in public education as well as private business. He holds a bachelor's in education from Millersville University, a master's in education from Penn State University, and a doctor of education from Immaculata University. So I couldn't be more thrilled. Uh, Ryan, I love your work. I just love following you on LinkedIn and seeing what you're thinking about. The feeling's mutual, for sure. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you just always have such great insight, and I feel like we're like-minded. So Mm -hmm. it's such a joy to finally get to work with you. Well, thank thank you for having me, truly. Um, It's an honor to be here, to be just a a pebble on this uh, path that you're, you know, creating (laughs) for other people. So thank you. I'm I'm excited to chat with you today. I feel like we could probably have this go on for six, seven, eight hours, but we won't do that to our <laughs> listeners. <laughs> we'll keep it brief because I think there's a, there's a lot of good we could talk about on this yeah. topic. Yeah, well, maybe we'll be back podcasting That's again right. next month. I love okay. that. Okay. 
Well, so today we're talking about this idea of the great gloom and some of this data that we've been seeing about the diminishing uh, employee engagement numbers. And, you know, obviously, you and I both follow all the data and the research and what's Forbes saying and what's Mm -hmm. McKinsey saying and what's coming out of HBR. Um, But I'm curious about your own lived experience. Mm -hmm. You know, have you seen any evidence of this great gloom? Um, You know, maybe maybe in your work, maybe not in your work. You know, maybe it's in the literature, um, but maybe it's just your instincts. I don't know. What what's what are you thinking? Yeah, for sure. And I always like to open up before I talk whether it's a keynote or on something like this, or even just mm. one-on-one, I'd like to try to uh, disarm our audience here just for a hot second, because mm. I think our listeners are probably on a bell curve, right? There's probably some who are right at the tippy top of that bell curve, and they're saying, yeah, I'm, I'm open to what, what, what Kedjan and Ryan have to mm-hmm. say here. There's some who are maybe like all in, like, yes, tell me now, I'll do this in the next hour. And there may be others who got this sent to them, and they're like, I'm going to listen to this, but I'm super skeptical. Yeah. My my ask, I think, of all of our listeners here is, would they be open to even having their their thoughts or question expanded, even 1%? And actually, even if that 1% is just further disagreement so they can have more conversation, I think that's still a win for mm. them, for their company, and for their employees as well. Brilliant. So to your question, are we seeing a shift? Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I, I would say so. And here's the way I like to look at it and what I'm kind of connecting it to. I think I've seen this very interesting metamorphosis sort of emerge in business that started around the time of the pandemic, and that was new for everybody. Um, I don't know anyone else who has lived through a, a pandemic other than the pandemic that we've had. Yeah. Um, and shifting into today, it's been a, it's really been a pendulum swing, right? During the pandemic, I remember I was a principal at that time. What we were all saying to each other was, you know, we don't know. Like, how, how do we do this? Yeah. And then we landed on here's what we have to answer. How do we take care of people? Because right now people are hurting, people are confused. As leaders, how do we really listen? And despite the craziness of the pandemic, if I had to say there was a silver lining, I think the silver lining was people slowed down enough to say, what can we do right now for people? Mm -hmm. And boy, was that an important question. But what I think I have seen happen in some businesses is that we're seeing now, okay, it's been a couple years, have we missed out? Has our speed decreased to a place where we're not comfortable? You know, it's a lot of these what if questions. And there's this big, uh, you can put it like in bold letters in your brain, this return to excellence. And hear me out on this, nothing's wrong with excellence. But what I've seen in some situations is that this excellence has been prioritized to only quantifiable gains at the cost of cultural and people awareness. And again, I want to be super clear. I sympathize with our company owners Mm -hmm. and our senior leaders because business success, it prevents layoffs. It allows valuable compensation for people's quality of life. Mm -hmm. I worry that in this mindset, we get stuck in this game of or. We can either approach quantifiable outcomes Mm -hmm. or we can approach qualitative cultural outcomes. And if you're familiar with Jim Collins, he talks about the power of and. We don't have to play that game. Mm -hmm. We can say, both can live. It's like, do I pick grace? Do I pick tr- truth? Guess what? You can pick both. They mm-hmm. can they can be married together. So I really do think this power of and makes sense here. Um, and can we start to can we start to say, yeah, you know, we had the quiet quitting. We mm-hmm. have the we had the you know now with the, this this great gloom. Can we really ask within these big titles, mm-hmm. what are the real concrete things that we can latch onto and say? What can I do about X employees lived experience here at work? 
and what can I do to make this even 1% better? Have I heard their voice on what it is that I'm doing that they'd like me to stop doing? Mm-hmm. The things that I'm doing they wish I would, that I would keep on doing and the things that I haven't been doing that I, that I should start. Mm-hmm. I think no matter what, what angle you have as far as from the pocket or from the heart, there's evidence on both sides of that. Mm-hmm. Our employees need to feel autonomy, creativity, mm-hmm. and purpose. And truly, those are the seeds I think are going to start to help us grow out of this gloom that mm-hmm. people are talking about. Mm-hmm. Tell me those again slowly. Autonomy, yeah, creativity, and purpose. And, and, and that's how I evaluate whether the job I'm in mm-hmm. is the right fit for me. It's a, it's a quarterly evaluation. Do mm-hmm. I feel that I have the autonomy, mm-hmm. creativity, and purpose? And for, for those listening, a great kind of measuring stick of is your supervisor somebody who's really championing you? Is mm-hmm. Are they open to having just open conversation on those three things mm-hmm. every quarter, at least once a year? Mm-hmm. I'm fortunate that my, my CEO at CNS, he very much wants to hear about these these feelings that I have around mm-hmm. that and ask how he can be, you know, shoulder to shoulder with me and growing in that, mm-hmm. in that way. Mm-hmm. I, I see another podcast for us. All right. Uh, I mean, because really these line up with the neuroscience of motivation yes, and Dr. Yes. Rock's work and SCARF. And mm. so um, so I think, I think you're really on to something that maybe the way that we move out of the great gloom and into what we're calling the great flourish. I wanted to call it the great sparkle, but the team wouldn't (laughs) let me say something that weird on the air, but I just did. Um, But, you know, is really using uh, some of the neuroscience Mm -hmm. of what we know motivates human beings. Mm -hmm. And so autonomy is huge. You know, status, certainty, autonomy, relatedness, and fairness Mm -hmm. are, are the elements there. Okay, wonderful. Well, um, if we are having this uh, diminished employee engagement, and it could be for a lot of reasons, which we'll get into in a minute, but what do you think is most costly about the diminished employee engagement? Maybe even sort of what's most damaging or most insidious in the short term versus in the long term? What are your thoughts, Ryan? Yeah. And Again, I mentioned you can look at this from the pocket or the heart. Yeah. Both matter. And I'll talk about both here. I think from, let's start with the pocket side of things, on the fiscal side of running Mm -hmm. a business. If we don't address this, um, our employees will have what I call a bomb shelter mentality. They Mm -hmm. will keep their head down and they'll hang around just long enough till they find something that's better for them that meets these these inherent needs. It's not just like this would be nice to do. Mm -hmm. These are basic human needs. If Mm -hmm. our our listeners are familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of needs, Mm -hmm. this is not not something that's like, oh, maybe I'll buy into this, maybe I won't. Like This is science. Mm -hmm. So we have these basic needs, for those of you unfamiliar, think of a triangle. At the very bottom, you've got your physiological needs. Like you need food in your tummy to to survive. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The next things need to feel safe but physically and emotional and the third we call these deficiency needs because like breathing whether you want to do it or not you need it the third deficiency need is the need to to feel valued Mm -hmm. and so if those are not met you will not be able to go into your first being need and that first being need is the need to know and understand that's where critical thinking takes place Mm -hmm. that's where courage takes place Mm -hmm. that's where risk taking takes place Mm -hmm. who doesn't want an employee on your team who wants to take strategic risks, who wants to think outside the box and be bigger and better. And so if we don't take care of whatever it is that's scraping away at uh, you know these, these deficiency needs of our employees, we will lose out mm-hmm. on, on great employees. And then from the heart side, and, and because for me, a lot of my purpose and what I do is asking, 
did I make people's lives a little bit better because of me today? A little mm. bit worse because of me today? Mm. And, and listen, like, I'm not infallible. There are days where, unfortunately, the answer has been I've made it worse. And then it's on me. And this maybe goes back to this, right? It's never too late to have a follow-up conversation and say, mm-hmm. you know what? You didn't get the best version of me yesterday. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry about that. Mm-hmm. Let's let's fix that. Mm-hmm. That's going to, especially if you haven't done that in the past, it might feel weird. It might feel a little awkward at first. But bit by bit, little by little, we can move in that direction. Mm-hmm. Something I read recently, I'll call this out when you talked about, you know, what's what's damaging about this. Um, I'm reading a book right now called Mastery and Civility, a Manifesto for the Workplace. And one of the pieces of research that, that it pulls out is that when we feel disconnected mm-hmm. from our teams, from our from our groups, right? Mm-hmm. So when we feel othered or ostracized, mm-hmm. if you were to look at what's lighting up in the brain, the same parts of the brain light up as what lights up when you're experiencing physical pain. Mm-hmm. So if you were to reach across this table and deck me, yeah. <laughs> which I don't think you're going to do. Like, yeah. yeah, I know. We're, we're great friends. <laughs> Those parts of my brain that light up yeah. are the same parts that light up mm-hmm. that when I feel like I'm showing up at work mm-hmm. and I'm just a cog in the wheel, mm-hmm. that I'm just a warm body, that that is problematic for the now mm-hmm. and for the long term for any leader or any CEO listening to this and saying, I want my company to continue to grow and I want great people that are buying into the mission and vision of what we're doing. It's really challenging, dare I say, almost impossible for them to feel that if they do not feel like they are a part of what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there are lots of lots of reasons why uh, this is damaging us in the short term, but maybe even worse in the long term. If mm-hmm. we're lack, if we're not cultivating great leaders, leaders who can take risks, who feel valued, uh, who can be courageous. Mm-hmm. What does that mean for five years from now, 10 years from now? What are the opportunity yes. costs? Because we're not showing that we value them now. Yeah. Um, okay, well, it, it could get even gloomier then if yeah. we don't do something about it. So it, it is it is something worth paying some attention to. What do you think might be causing the great gloom, this uh, disengagement that might be happening, the lack of happiness in the workplace? What What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, I, I had the opportunity to kind of think about this for a couple of weeks now since I knew I was coming on here. Mm-hmm. And well, I, I do believe it's probably going to be a little different depending on what kind of company we're talking about and you know where we are, uh, where the work's being done, so on and so forth. I do think I've narrowed it down to at least my top three scenarios that mm-hmm. I think not only may this be causing it, but here's the good news, we can do something about it. Mm-hmm. I'll give you a little bit of background here and a little bit of history. And for our listeners, though you may think when you hear my voice that I am some six foot eight looming tall character, I am not. <laughs> I am a very, I'm a very short guy. And I mention mm-hmm. that because growing up, being short was really problematic for mm-hmm. me internally. I felt like I can't control this. There's no body stretching machine. Mm-hmm. And so I developed this really early obsession with saying when there's big problems that seem so big, you know, for me at the time, although it seems silly now, but the time being short, mm-hmm. now just great gloom, quiet quitting. Anytime you put these big titles up, they seem so big and abstract. Like, you know, you ask yourself two questions. Like one, does this have legitimacy? Two, should I care about it? And three, assuming the first two are true, what do I actually do about it? Mm -hmm. And so I do believe that there are these three scenarios that do give this great gloom legitimacy Mm -hmm. and are things that we can do about it. Mm -hmm. So first one, there's this concept, um, and I I heard it on an episode of a podcast called Against the Rules. Mm -hmm. And it's this concept called level six experts. And Mm -hmm. so here's a scenario one, level six experts 
have not been invited to the conversation. So this label assumes that you've got a CEO and in really big companies, imagine levels down, right? So imagine six levels down from the CEO. This typically is somebody who's an individual contributor in some situations has been with the company for quite some time and they've developed this tacit knowledge. And for anyone not familiar with that term, it's the stuff that like you can't quite write down. It's like if you drive a manual car when your left foot knows when to push the clutch. It's hard to explain that to somebody, but you just know because you've yeah. experienced it. And are we inviting those people into conversations and asking them about what they think about situations, what they think about the movement of the company. And listen, we can't, it's not feasible for us to invite them to every single conversation we have. But as leaders, when we take time to sit with people and say, what do you think? And then follow up with true reflection on what that person shared with you, man, that is life giving. Mm -hmm. And that's the kind of thing that I believe allows people to feel like, I'm heard here and I'm a part of this. So second scenario, a company is lacking agreed upon norms of radical candor and crucial conversations. Radical candor, for those unfamiliar, it's this idea of challenging directly and caring deeply. It's not picking one or the other. And crucial conversations are having these tough conversations that are really tricky. Like they make you feel like you want to throw up a little bit, but they're important to have. (laughs) (laughs) So here's the thing I found that in companies that don't have this, this is scenario two, if we don't talk it out, we're going to certainly act it out. So as we're shifting to this return to excellence, there've been a number of big moves and inevitably we all make mistakes. For instance, I can think of a specific example where I moved really quickly at my last company that caused a lot of stress and pain for my team. But fortunately, I had established early on with my team that I didn't just want, but I required radically candid feedback. Mm -hmm. And I had an employee on my team who had the courage to have a crucial conversation with me. She spoke up and really gave me me feedback about this short-sightedness of my move. And because of her speaking up, I was was given the the privilege of stopping what I think could have been contributing to this Mm -hmm. gloom and kind of taking a step back. However, here's the catch. Mm-hmm. Radical candor and crucial conversations, even if you say, hey team, we're gonna, we're gonna do this, it's not going to happen unless the leader, A, asks for it, B, thanks people for it when it happens, mm-hmm. and then C, follows up with reflection. And last scenario, so just to recap, we talked about level six experts, mm-hmm. we talked about a lacking of radical candor and crucial conversations. I think perhaps the third scenario that's contributing to the great gloom right now is that leaders have either forgotten or decided it's not worthwhile to get professionally personal with employees. And so what's I mean by that? Here's the thing, and I feel pretty confident this is true for anyone that's listening. No one enjoys wasting time at home, on tasks, or working for a place where they're unable to see future growth. If an employee feels like they've been put in a box of do this thing, don't give them your insight, your thoughts, just do it. With time, it's gonna cause people to have this really sickening question creep in, which is, is there really anything special about me doing this or am I just a warm body here? When I teach new managers um, foundational mindsets as they step into the new role, I find it essential they remember this question or they remember this phrase rather that they really repeat to themselves. No one will have the opportunity to know and champion my direct report as much as I do. And if I don't do this, no one else can step in in the same way and champion them like me. If they forget that, that's a major loss for their, their, their direct report that's reporting to them. So are they asking them simple questions like, what skills do you have that we haven't tapped into yet? What professional aspirations do you have for yourself? What do you think the next step is in getting there and how can I help? Where would you like to grow and what's your plan? 
I, I think these are questions that if we take the time to get to know our employees a little more personally, and we ask them this and really genuinely care about their answers, they make our employees feel alive. And this level of connection to other people, especially to their supervisors, it makes almost all parts of the day look like doors that are just waiting to be opened. Mm, so fantastic. So so much of what you're saying is is really uh, resonating with me because I, I too, uh, believe that first, when we look at something as insidious as the great gloom, we have to think about what is within our control and what is outside of yeah. our control. Agreed. We talk about inner circle, outer circle at work wisdom. So anything that's inside the inner circle is that which is in our mm-hmm. control. Anything in that outer rim out there there in the donut that's outside of our control so in crisis in times of uh transition we have to double down on the inner circle because mm-hmm. otherwise yes. we're just wasting effort for sure. and we don't have time for that yeah. so i love where, where you're going with this and you're focused on what's in the inner circle what's within our control uh your first point about level six experts is beautiful it mm-hmm. really is it's very much uh, aligned with what we call resonant leadership, you mm-hmm. know, the Boyatzis work, um, thinking about how do we have more democratic yes. workplaces where voices are heard and all kinds of voices are mm-hmm. heard and really um, we're listening and leading according to all of those voices, yeah. even those that don't traditionally hold power. Um, I love what your second point about radical candor and crucial conversations. Of course, it lines up with our work around authentic communication and belonging cues. There's this quote from Reed Hastings. Did you ever read No Rules Rules? Yeah, I see it actually right behind you. I'm reading oh, it right now. Oh I love gosh. the book. <laughs> so good. There's this quote that we always joke about here where he says to his team, um, it is your responsibility to make sure I don't drive this company over the cliff. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, you know, basically that it's that leader giving permission mm-hmm. for that radical candor. Um, and it sounds like your staff person had permission yes. to redirect you and say, oh, hey, Ryan, yes. too fast, yep. too much. Um, I, I absolutely love it. And, and we've got to do that because <laughs> and it's not our fault, but we are inherently um, very egocentric. I mean, when yeah. we were born, yeah. you know, we needed food and we cried and we wanted it, right? Yeah. And so with time, if you if you get us go, go, going, we are going to think that our way is the absolute best way. Yeah. And, you know, let's be honest, we take time, we research. I mean, you and I as leaders of organizations, we make sure that we're taking care of our company. But in, in doing so, we can have this bias where we think that we have checked all the boxes that it clearly everyone else just needs to get on board. Mm-hmm. The danger in that is that the more invested and I think emotionally attached we get to things, the, the tighter those blinders get on our eyes. And so the way to combat against that is to have really great people that you give them permission to say, mm-hmm. I don't just want you to speak up. Mm-hmm. I need you to speak up. We can only be good with just me, mm-hmm. we can be great and something really special if we've got this conversation together. Absolutely, yeah. it's and it's so evidence-based. You know, mm-hmm. the more divergent views we have together, the smarter we are. Yes, uh, even the better we are at investing money. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I absolutely love it, and and I love your spirit of it, which feels a lot like Daniel Coyle. Uh, I don't know if you've had a chance to read the Culture Code yet, but he talks a well, lot about. I haven't read it yet. You, though, you no. are gonna love it. Oh, it's good. like you. It sounds like you. Um, <laughs> you know, he talks a lot about belonging cues Mm -hmm. and when someone says something that's 
uh, maybe even antithetical to mm-hmm. what you've just said. You come over and put a hand on their shoulder. Yeah. Uh, Reed Hastings talks a little bit about that as well. Can I just make one more point for you? Get oh, your next okay. question. Yeah, Be- absolutely. Because I, I think I think to myself now. I'm thinking about our listeners, and I can imagine a listener saying, "Yeah, Ryan, I hear you, but my boss, my C-suite, they're not like that. They're mm. they're, they're not going to they're not going to buy into this, you mm. know. So what am I to do? Mm-hmm. And I think it's a that's a real legitimate question. Mm-hmm. And I think I think all individuals need to ask themselves which of these following paths make sense. Do they believe they can lead both up, down, and horizontally? Mm-hmm. Is is their organization one that with time they can model the behavior they want to see other people lead and slowly see a change. I think the second, you know, real um, situation they need to ask themselves is if they find they're in an organization where that's not going to happen, is it time to explore elsewhere to find the right fit? Mm-hmm. I, I mention that only because I know as I changed roles and I've changed industries, there's this like creeping thought of, am I quitting? Am mm-hmm. I giving up? And, and I want to reassure people that reevaluating where your passions can best be used to make the biggest impact in any field of your choosing is not giving up. Mm-hmm. I think that's recalibration mm-hmm. and recalibration matters because ultimately if you find that you have a better platform elsewhere, you should explore that. But if you feel like you can be contagious where you are, you should explore that too. So I do get the weight of mm-hmm. of this like thought of well what am I to do? It's not just although what we are saying now maybe simple in speech it is not simplistic in acting and i and i can appreciate that yeah thank you so much for bringing that bringing that to bear and um i think it's it's really significant and it's so heavy for individuals because very often they do find out some of the information and some of the methods that you and I are talking about and say, okay, how can I use my power? How can Mm -hmm. I use my referent power, maybe leading from the middle in order to be the change I wanna see in this organization? And you can only do that for so long until it starts to look like burnout because there's no professional efficacy and you're you're working really hard, but you're not moving the Mm -hmm. needle. So your point about, we call it Know When to Fold Them, which is a very dated reference yes. to a Kenny Rogers song. But h- how do we develop the skill of discernment? Yes. And when do we fold them? And when do we move along? And um, so that that's a really wonderful thought. And yet yet another podcast we're going to have to do together, Ryan. Yeah. You, and I, I know we're going off on tangents. So you may need to cut this later, but I will tell you that um, I listened to this fascinating podcast um, of a former lawyer who mm-hmm. became, during the pandemic, a professional poker player. Mm-hmm. And you know the number one variable between professional poker players and amateur poker players is professional po- poker players fold so much more than amateur mm-hmm. poker players. Professional poker players have also been um, shown to have far greater critical thinking skills. Mm. So let's quickly like make it a hy- hypothesis here. Critical thinking may have a positive correlation of knowing, like you said, when to say my energy is no longer going to be valuable on this particular path. Yeah. Let's spin and find a better path where I can use that energy for good. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's uh, that's what we, that's part of the art of failure. Yeah. So how do we know when to fold them? Mm-hmm. How do we know when to quit? And, 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 and also something you said there was uh, 
turn that into a learning opportunity so that we can yes. fail forward mm-hmm. and and be more innovative with that failure. Okay, um, I'm very excited. I hope that you have lots of time to podcast with me. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Um, okay, well, I want to think about the flip side of it. We yep. are positive organizational behaviorists, so we don't love to spend too much sure. time in the NEA, the negative emotional attractor mm-hmm. state, and we want to flip it and we want to say, okay, well, if that's all true, about the great gloom. Let's let's think about the other side of that coin. When have we been part of a flourishing, highly engaged culture? And so, um, Ryan, what's your experience? You know, when have you been part of a highly engaged culture? And maybe even what feels magical about being yeah. part of a flourishing culture? And you know, I'm I'm privileged to be at a company right now at CNS where I truly would tell you whether we're here podcasting or not, that that mm-hmm. is true. And I've read about a lot of organizations that also have the same culture. So I think one of the things you're gonna notice in a highly um, flourishing culture is this idea of authentic vulnerability. I wanna be clear, mm-hmm. authentic vulnerability is not just saying whatever is in your brain without any filter, mm-hmm. but it's making sure that people recognize whether you are a colleague with them or a leader of them, that you have strengths, you have questions, you have flaws, and that you want this to be a collective experience and growing together for the sake of the people and the business. So authentic vulnerability, a great example, if you you could Google it right now, the CEO of GitLab mm-hmm. has a, a public page that calls out his flaws. He's mm-hmm. very introspective um, and gives insight into how to help him work through those. So he said like, you know, in this particular situation, I may get like this, I don't want to, but sometimes I do. Mm-hmm. What you can help me do in that situation is try X, Y, and Z. He also has, um, he has people that report to him, give pointers for working with him. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this guy, he knows he's weird, just like the rest of us, right? Yeah. We're, all idiot- we're all idiosyncratic. And I use that word weird joking like we all have our quirks though right Mm -hmm. and so it's important for us to say here's me you're gonna get you're gonna get all of me right this is you're gonna get the highs and the lows of of who i am and want people to point out how to how to move through these bumpy patches with us together so that way we can catalyze collaboration because vulnerability is a cousin of trust Mm -hmm. and if i don't trust you and i don't trust the intentions that you have for our team for me for the company man, it's really hard for me to go all in and work with you. Mm, and that, so That's fantastic. Oh, keep going. Keep and, going. and so I, I would I would encourage um, anyone listening to this who wants to say like, oh, do I have this happening at my company? Mm-hmm. I would ask, if you're hiring people, Patrick Lencioni talks about being humble, hungry, and smart and the mm-hmm. ideal team player, right? Are you doing things to feed the hunger of your employees? Because you want people engaged recognize they've got hunger to keep on growing. How are you feeding that hunger? I know I'm a bit biased as a training development guy, but for instance, like, do they have access to to e-learning that allows them to upskill or cross-skill? Do they have the ability to watch microcourses, things that are like two to five minutes? Do you have well-vetted articles ready for them? Can they sign up for live trainings? Do they have the ability to have mentorships, professional learning communities? The obvious question with all of this, and I can I can see certain CEOs I've worked with in the past say like, "Where's the return on investment? Like, this is expensive." You know, mm-hmm. I, I do agree this costs money, but you know what costs more money? A company that can't attract and keep top talent because those employees have found another company willing to look at the qualitative side of ROI. Because whether you like it or not. It's not just quantifiable data that we have to look at. The qualitative piece of do I feel like I have a growth path here? Do I feel like people value not just what I'm doing, but what I could be doing in the future? If you don't have that, 
I do believe that employees will look elsewhere and, and they'll find another they'll find another group that, that does have that for them. We talked about Maslow's hierarchy earlier, um, mm-hmm. but again, I like to always look at the antithesis of, of what I'm saying. If somebody says, you know, I hear what you're saying, Ryan, about all this ROI of, of training, but I've hired them. This is not a democracy. They're paid to do what I tell them to do. That's fear-based managing. Mm-hmm. And if the scary thing about fear-based managing is that it will work initially, but the ceiling is very low. It's mm-hmm. a glass ceiling and people will only hang around for a short period of time. So simple little things by taking time to look at what are what makes our employees excited, what are they hungry for for what's next, and taking little baby steps that direction. You don't have to change the world tomorrow, but asking yourself as the leader of a company or the leader of a team, this quarter, do my employees have the opportunity to be even 1% better than what they are now? I think that's a great question to ask. Okay. I think it's brilliant. Yeah, authentic vulnerability that fosters trust where we're self-aware of our triggers and we're sharing them with others. And we're also mm-hmm. even using um, maybe open 360s yes. so that we're yep. getting feedback from each other as well. Okay. Um, let's, you know, at Work Wisdom, we often talk about do and drop yep. behaviors. And so, you know, uh, Anthony DeMello says that uh, transformation comes more readily from what we drop than mm-hmm. what we add. And so let's spend a little bit of time talking about leaders and what leaders can do or drop yes. in order to foster flourishing cultures. So I don't know, do you have a do you have a favorite do or do you have a favorite drop that I, you'd recommend to our listeners? I do. And here's the great news. I don't think this is going to require any more time of our of our leaders. I think they can do this in the time they're already meeting with their employees. So here's some things that I think can be done that will be sowing the seeds of allowing people to feel recognized and valued at the organization. Are you starting your check-ins by simply asking someone how life is? Mm. Is your second question, how's your workload and emotional capacity right now? And what do you need from me right now? And this seems ridiculous to say, but some people still aren't doing this. When you see someone, are you smiling, mm-hmm. saying hello, mm-hmm. asking how they're doing and really listening? It's so easy to blow by people in the office and forget that human connection is not just culturally valuable, but it also correlates to enhanced creativity and productivity. There's no question if the research is you know, uh, still out on that. It, it absolutely does. And are we evaluating the lived experiences of our remote employees? If you have a hybrid environment, is it clear that one category of employee is just as valuable as the other? You know, I could go on and on here, but here's the bottom line and something I feel really blessed to have found out as a principal of an elementary school. I had about seven seconds with about five people every time I walked from my office to someone else's classroom. And those were my seven seconds. I refused to waste opportunities to make someone's life seven seconds better. And it it just cost me so little mental energy and really could mean the world to that person. I love everything you're saying. (laughs) Um, So it sounds like whether it's a do or a drop, it really comes down to um, authenticity, valuing others in meaningful ways, showing belonging and those belonging cues, um, thinking in a truly democratic way where you're leveling power and you're really connecting, connecting human to human with each other. So thank you for your wisdom and your time today, Ryan. I am so grateful to you for being part of this movement of helping others in the workplace to enhance their individual and collective team performance. And thank you, listeners, for downloading The Behaviorists. 
We hope you'll subscribe. Please contact us through our website, workwisdomllc.com, where you can enjoy Work Wisdom Press and productions. You can ask us questions and make suggestions of topics you'd like to explore in future episodes. And as is our custom, we'll leave you with a quote, actually from you, Ryan, uh, something that I, I, I read and it instantly resonated with me. Make others big and hold the spotlight for them. Mm-hmm.